0: This is the Morning Rush.
1: Coming up on today's show, we'll recap a crazy weekend in the NCAA tournament where the double-digit seeds reign supreme. Well, at least in some regions anyway. Uh, Life not so sweet for the Mountaineers. We'll go over their tough loss yesterday. We'll hear from head coach Bob Huggins. Terps are still alive, and they'll try to reach the Sweet 16 tonight. Going to be a lot of college basketball talk today. I know there are other sports going on. I just don't care. (laughs) Nope, we're talking a lot of hoops in the next two hours. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off yet another essential work week. Several ways to get involved on this show. As always, let's run down the list. Hit me up on Twitter at ESPN Morning Rush or at Rush Tony C. Check out our Facebook page at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. All those pages are open to the public. You can like them, follow them. And you can message me anytime you want. Drop me a line. You got a question, comment, an opinion. Want to give your thoughts on the NCAA tournament so far? Feel free. Again, Twitter at ESPN Morning Rush or at Rush Tony C. Facebook at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. The Rush line is open. Your chance to dial and dance. Shamo. 301-759-2628. And of course, our podcast page. On the free Podbean app where we upload every show every day minus commercials. You can go back and listen to anything that you want. Every show is up there. So if you miss something, just download that Podbean app on your phone or tablet or other such device. And there you go. All right, before we get into uh, our coverage of the NCAA tournament, let's rock around the region. I want to rock! I guess we'll start right there. At least one team anyway. Uh, West Virginia season. Is over. Bayheim with a three, and McNeil was right in his grill from way outside. 22 points. From inbound to Buddy Bayheim, and the celebration is on for the Orange. They've advanced to the Sweet 16 with a hard fought 75 72 win over the West Virginia Mountaineers. The call on the Westwood 1 NCAA Network. A game we'll get into uh, in much more detail later in the show. 25 points for Buddy Bayheim, 22 in the second half, as 11th seeded Syracuse knocked off the third seeded Mountaineers 75 72 in the second round of the Big Dance. Sean McNeil had 23 points for West Virginia, which shot 37% from the floor, making just 26 of 70 shots. Tonight, Maryland. Has a chance to move on to the Sweet 16, but it won't be easy. The 10th-seeded Terps have to get by the two-seed in the East Region, Alabama. Tip time, eh, right around 8.45. And our coverage, our Westwood 1 coverage, of the final day of the second round, or the second day of the second round, begins at noon and will run all the way through until it's over. Generally around 1 a.m. So if you're out and about, you're in your car, you're at work, whatever, you can't get to a TV to watch, tune in right here, beginning at noon, and then it's like 11 straight hours of NCAA tournament coverage. In the NBA, the Wizards lost to the Nets in Brooklyn, 113-106. Another triple-double for Russell Westbrook in a losing effort. 29 points, 13 rebounds, 13 assists, Washington just 1 and 6 now since the All-Star break. On the ice yesterday, Jesper Bratt scored 250 into overtime to give the Devils a 2-1 win over the Penguins in Pittsburgh. Uh, Sidney Crosby scored the lone goal for the Pens who dropped 2 of 3 to the lowly Devils. They've lost 3 of 4 following a 6-game win streak. Doesn't help that like half the team is injured. And they played like five games in seven days. Anyway. In spring training action, Brian Reynolds homered and Adam Frazier had a two-run double as the Pirates beat the Red Sox 9-4. Orioles lost to the Twins at 12-7. Pedro Severino and Ryan Mountcastle homeward for the O's and the Nationals uh, lost to the Mets 6-2. Uh, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to try to do high school schedules anymore. Basketball. I'm I'm not even, I've decided that I'm not going down that path anymore because I have absolutely no idea who's playing anymore and who isn't. Every day there's a new game postponed, moved, switched, and I just I can't keep up. One man just can't keep up. So I'm just going to wait until the next morning to see what who actually plays and what the scores are, and I'll, I'll go that route. I like to give the schedule, you know, coming up, you know, what's on the slate, the docket in the evening. Not that money, not that we can go watch them, but still, it's nice to know who's in action. But uh, I I give up because there's there's like postponements everywhere. So we'll touch on high school basketball tomorrow when we find out who actually plays tonight and we actually have final scores. So there you go. Uh, that is your rock around the region brought to you by the Cap Rally Group. Uh 301-759-2628 rush line is open. You want to get involved in the conversation. We're going to talk a lot of uh, NCAA hoops as you can imagine. And you know I sat here last week and I broke down the entire tournament, right? Went over the whole thing region by region. Game by game, stats, analysis, matchups. I gave you my picks for each game, and I even crowned my national champion. And after three days, the tournament proves once again that I, like most people, have absolutely no idea what we're talking about when it comes to predicting the NCAA tournament. If you want to tell me that you saw the first three days of this year's tournament turning out like this, I'll call you a liar to your face. Because I don't think anybody, and we say this every year, right? It's, It's every year. We think we know, but we don't know. We think we know who the best teams are heading into the tournament. We think we know who the favorites are. We think we know. What teams have the best chance to cut down the nets at the end of it all? But we don't know. Which makes the NCAA tournament so great. Because we just don't have a clue. <laughs> we, just, we can make all the brackets we want. We can fill out either whether you filled out one bracket or 20 brackets. Whether you filled one out for fun or you have an office bracket or you filled one out you know, for a little, little cache. We're all guessing. It's all guesswork at this point. We can sit here and we can analyze the games until the cows come home, do our research, do the brackets, and in the end, the NCAA tournament humbles us all. And this, of course, is the most unusual of tournaments. Because of the pandemic, everything's being played, as you already know, in and around Indianapolis. And so it was only fitting that it was a rather unusual weekend. I mean, (laughs) seriously. Who had, show of hands here, unless you're driving. Don't do that. That's, That's dangerous. Who really had Loyola Chicago and Oregon State playing each other for a spot in the Elite Eight. Because that's what we have. We, we actually have that game. That game is going to actually happen on this sheet right here. I can't imagine anybody, anybody who put thought into filling out a bracket, like anybody who actually sat down, who thinks they know something about basketball, myself included, I can't imagine anybody having those two teams meeting in the sweet 16. I mean seriously. Now, I'm sure there are some people who really don't know much about basketball. Who? I know people who pick the brackets based solely on uniforms. Seriously. Whatever uniforms they like the best, whatever color schemes they like the best, they pick those teams. They may have Loyola Chicago and Oregon State playing in this Sweet 16. People who have their pets pick the brackets, right? Like they call, you know, they put the bracket on the floor. You see this this stuff on TV. Didn't, wasn't they have uh did I just say wasn't they have? Did I just say – really? Did that – didn't they have at one point like an octopus picking the brackets or something like that? Wasn't there some weird thing on TV – where they would just have animals picking the brackets or the Final Four or whatever. If you did that, if you had your pet turtle just kind of crawl across the bracket and pick it, you may have had Loyola Chicago and Oregon State in the Sweet 16. If you had your six-year-old pick your bracket, you may have had those two teams. If you put the bracket on a dartboard, blindfolded yourself, And threw darts at the bracket backwards, you may have had Loyola, Chicago, and Oregon State in the Sweet 16. Because that's the only way you could have it. Because anybody with a lick of thought, anybody who would claim to have knowledge of the sport, like myself, did not have one of those teams, (laughs) let alone both of those teams in the Sweet 16. But more on those two in a moment. Perhaps the biggest surprise, as if those two weren't surprising enough. Perhaps the biggest surprise so far, for just the second time in tournament history, we have a 15 seed going to the Sweet 16. Oral Roberts University, after stunning number two Ohio State on Friday, they stunned 7th seeded Florida yesterday. 81-78. Only Florida Gulf Coast, remember them? Dunk City, Florida Dunk Coast. They made the, Swiss, uh, the Sweet 16 back in 2013. The only other 15 seed to do it ever. And now Oral Roberts joins the party. A 15 seed going to the Sweet 16. The Golden Eagles will take on the third seed, Arkansas, for a spot in the Elite Eight. Here's ORU head coach Paul Mills after yesterday's win.
2: What I told him was, I told you so. You know, when we got to the locker room, I told you the Sweet 16 was a much better feeling. Again, I think that most people who are in this profession hate losing more than they like winning, except when there's a lot at stake. And not that other games aren't at stake, but obviously this is, if you lose, your season is done. And so you need to come through. You need to deliver. We need to to execute. We need to do all those things that, that you practice over the course of the year. And so I'm just happy that our guys see that and then they're able to, to stay true to it, to stay true to each other, to love each other as, as we talk about quite a bit. And, I, again, I'm so happy for our players.
1: Now, much like the case – with Loyola Chicago and Oregon State. I can't think of many people outside of those who actually went to Oral Roberts, who had them in the Sweet 16. I don't know of many people who actually know where Oral Roberts is, let alone pick them to win two games this tournament. It's in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, oh, by the way, just in case you were wondering. And I heard one of the network guys last night say that we have our first official Cinderella of this of this year's tournament. Right, fifteen seed, Sweet Sixteen Cinderella. We all We got to root for the Cinderellas in, in, in the the tournament. But ESPN's Aaron Goldhammer says, uh, not so fast with the, uh, the glass flipper.
3: I actually don't mind Oral Roberts making it this far because they've got real bona fide stars on their team. This isn't just some you know, mid-major out-of-nowhere miracle story. This is a team that has, as you said, the leading scorer in the country on it, and that makes them fun to watch. They put up points. Now, they were terrible defensively all year, which is why they were a 15 seed, but Ohio State and Florida haven't been able to capitalize on it. And in both games, O'Banner and A's continue to be great. You know, I this is not a team that I would want to play no. in the next round because it, it, they have no pressure on them now whatsoever going into the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight, assuming they'd get that far.
1: So it's Oral Roberts in Arkansas. Looking at my original bracket, I have two sitting here, one that I filled out as the games happened and my original one that I picked uh, last week. I had Arkansas going to the Elite Eight. So that's actually still in play. Now, did I have them going through Oral Roberts to get there? No, I did not. I actually had them beating Ohio State, which that's dead. That was dead dead in the first round. So, one way or another, we're going to have either Arkansas or Oral Roberts in the Elite Eight. How about that? That's the bottom half of the South region. In the upper half, that looks a little bit you know, more normal as the number one seed, Baylor, and number five, Villanova. They advanced to the Sweet 16 yesterday. Baylor took care of Wisconsin, and Villanova took care of North Texas. North Texas also trying to be a Cinderella. They were the 13 seed, which also screwed up my original bracket because I had Purdue going pretty far. Actually, had Purdue losing to Baylor in this week 16. Or actually, I'm sorry, the uh, second round. So top half, a little bit normal. Baylor taking on Nova in this week 16. Bottom half all jacked up with Arkansas and Oral Roberts. And then <laughs> there's the Midwest region. Which is an absolute dumpster fire. When compared to the South region. I used my bracket, by the way, to start that dumpster fire after yesterday. And we'll talk about that next. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio.
0: This is the Morning Rush.
1: Tony C in the big chair. Glad to have you on board. Rush line is open. 301 759 2628. We're talking what you'd expect. We're talking about NCAA tournament. Just got done looking at the uh the weird uh South region, where we have Oral Roberts advancing to the sweet sixteen. Only the second fifteen seed ever to make the sweet sixteen. And then, as I said right before the break, we have the Midwest region, which is a dumpster fire because we have a 2, an 8, an 11, and a 12 in the Sweet 16. I, if you heard the show on Friday, I had Illinois winning the entire thing. Winning the national championship. You blew it! I didn't blow it. Illinois blew it. Loyola Chicago. Putting the kibosh on that. By blowing out the top-seeded Illini, 71-58, and it wasn't even that close. (laughs) It wasn't even that close. My pick. Well, then, Look, I've had some bad brackets in my day. I think we all have. But I can't remember the last time my pick for a national title was out in the second round. You know, I'm, I'm sitting in here yesterday getting some work done, and I'm listening to the game, I just couldn't believe it. I thought Illinois was the best team heading into the tournament. Even better than Gonzaga. They won the the Big Ten tournament. They had 15 quad one and two wins, two legit superstars. We talked about all this last week. I thought everything was lining up for Illinois to cut down the nets. And they're done. They win one game. (laughs) They win one lousy game. But you know what? That's why they call it March Madness. It is absolutely impossible to figure out. When it gets down to tournament time, any team can beat almost anyone. And that's why we love it. That's why we're drawn to it, because you just don't know. Yeah, you know, I saw somebody, uh, and forgive me, I can't remember who it was, on Twitter last night. They, they put a list of the teams that were still alive. After last night's action, you know, he uh, was, like, was like NCAA. I can't, remember, I can't remember if it was Sweet 16 or whatever. and said Oral Roberts, Loyola Chicago, Abilene Christian, right? And then he says, Meanwhile, we have the four team college football playoff, which has the same four teams every single year. And he was 100% right. Every year we have a tournament that never... The tournament never fails to deliver, right? Some years are better than others for sure. And maybe this one just feels crazier and nuttier and more of the madness because we missed out on last year. There was no tournament last year. So maybe we're just so happy to have it back that everything just seems heightened But every single year, we sit here, and the tournament always delivers. March Madness always comes through. Dramatic games, dramatic finishes, upsets. We get involved with the brackets, and maybe, you know, go into the window a couple times here and there. Then you look at the college football playoff, and does that really deliver? When you really think about it, does it really deliver the goods? And it's something else we've talked about on this show. It's getting a little bit boring. Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and then uh, somebody else. Same teams every year. Same teams year in and year out. The college, and I know we love college football in this country. I know college football, football in general, is king from coast to coast right i think if you took a poll that college football would definitely reign supreme over college basketball but when you get to the end game when you get to the end result when you get to the end of each season college football kind of falls flat when you compare it to what we're watching now the tournament always delivers College football playoff when it's when a season starts, when when college football starts in uh what September, we hope. Unless you are unless you root for like one of eight teams, you got no chance of winning a national championship. None. None. Unless you're an Alabama fan or an Ohio State fan or a Clemson fan or I don't know, throw somebody else in there. Throw another powerhouse in there. I guess maybe half the SEC teams, I don't know your team has no shot, no shot of making the Final Four in the college football playoff. You're hoping for a winning season, maybe a conference championship, maybe a good bowl game. College basketball, you got a shot, right? You got a shot. If your team is decent, plays in a decent conference, got a couple good players, a couple scorers like Oral Roberts does, you got a shot, and I think that's what makes college basketball in the tournament much much more compelling and interesting than college football. So, Loyola Chicago pulls a stunner against Illinois, and I'm not even quite sure that that was the biggest shocker of the region, because remember the Ramblers, uh, Loyola, they were they were here wrecking things just a few years ago, right? And I think. After yesterday's game, you can sit here and now say it. Maybe they were underseeded as an eight seed, but you can't really say that about this team right here—the Oregon State Beavers, the latest participant turning the Sweet 16 into a double-digit dance party. The Beavers are going to the Sweet 16 for the first time since 1982. Wow. The 12-seed Oregon State defeats the 4-seed in the Midwest region, the Oklahoma State Cowboys,
0: 80-70. to
1: That call once again on the Westwood 1 NCAA Network. Oregon State, which had to win the Pac-12 tournament just to get in to the big dance, is now going to the Sweet 16. After knocking off Oklahoma State, and oh boy, Did I have Oklahoma State pegged wrong? You know, I sat here last week and I went on and on and on about how the Cowboys got hosed by the committee, how they should have been at least a three seed, how they drew a tough first round matchup with Liberty, which they only won by nine, by the way. They were disrespected getting a four seed. And then they go out and they get beat by the 12 seed. Dominated really when you think when you look at the numbers and you think about it, they trailed by 14 at the half. Oklahoma State shot just 27.7 percent from the floor, which is just downright awful. They made just eight of 29 three pointers. Said it before, I'll say it again you live by the three and you die by it. And they were killed on the glass. Oregon State out-rebounded OK State by 20, 52-32. to 32. And Oregon State had 11 block shots, dominated the paint, dominated the glass. Now, I didn't get to see much of it, much of the second half, because it was just way too late, and I had to, I had to go to bed. But the numbers that stood out to me the most, number one was Oklahoma State's shooting percentage. Number two, the teams combined for 53 fouls. Oregon State, you talk about teams and games coming down the difference from the foul line. Oregon State went 32 for 35 from the foul line. <laughs> okay, State wasn't terrible. 26 to 38, now they missed 12. But still, 26 of 38... That's almost 70%, 68%, something like that. But Oregon State went 32 for 35 from the foul line. Defense, rebounding, free throw shooting, all adds up to the Beavers moving on to the Sweet 16. Here's Oregon State head coach Wayne Tinkle. Proud of our guys. You know, we squandered it away. We panicked a couple of times. But, man, we didn't ever, ever back down. And... Different guys stepped up from Maurice Kalou, De'Aaron Tucker for a little bit, uh, all the way down the line, Tariq Silver. Julian Franklin made a huge hustle play, you know, and then Johnny
2: Hunt before he got hurt. You know, that hurt us in the second half with their pressure. And then the starters just, uh, we, you know, our guys were dominant in the paint uh, on the glass. I never would have thought if we turned it over 20 times we'd, we'd have a chance, but it's just a credit to the heart and the buy-in and the poise that we showed down the stretch.
1: Fear the tinkle. Wayne Tinkle, the head coach of Oregon State. And they move on. Now, with UCLA, USC, and Colorado having chances to move on today, the Pac-12, which I admittedly called the softest conference in the country. They could have four teams in the Sweet 16 by the end of tonight. And none of them are seeded higher than fifth. (laughs) Colorado is a fifth seed, a fifth seed, a five seed. USC is a six. UCLA an 11. And Oregon State a 12. And I told you, one of the very few things I actually got right, well, I kind of got right, when we were breaking down the regions last week, I told you BYU was wildly overseeded as a six seed. Now I had Michigan State knocking them off. But it turns out UCLA did the trick just the same. Now, I guess a lot of the easy games I, I got like most people do. Some of my upset picks really didn't happen. But that one, I give myself half credit for that. I I didn't have I didn't have the right team beating BYU, but I did have BYU losing uh in the first round. Because I just, I just did not buy them at all. A lot of teams that we thought were going to make some noise in this tournament came from two of the, what we considered, I considered at least, the best conferences in the country. And my goodness, did that fall flat. Sat here time and time again and told you that the Big Ten... And the Big 12 were by far, wasn't even close. By far, the best conferences in the country, with the best teams in the country. And after three days, not so much. We'll talk about that next. Stick around, Cumberland's ESPN Radio.
0: This is the Morning Rush.
1: Hope you enjoyed a weekend jam-packed full of college hoops, which which we're talking about for most of the show today. Want to get involved? 301-759-2628 or leave a message on the Book of Faces at Cumberland's ESPN Radio or drop me a line on Twitter. DMs are open, as uh, the kids say, at ESPN Morning Rush. Now, we left off uh, talking about Oregon State upsetting Oklahoma State last night to move on to the Sweet 16. And there are three more Pac-12 teams in action today, UCLA, USC, and Colorado, which means we could have four teams from the Pac-12 in the Sweet 16 by the end of tonight, which leads me to one of my biggest takeaways of the weekend. I, like a lot of other people, sat here for weeks and praised the Big Ten and the Big 12 as the best conferences in the country. Big Ten was by far the best conference. And then there was the Big 12, which is right behind them. And then it wasn't even close after that, right? ACC had a down year. SEC usually has, you know, a handful of decent teams each year. But obviously when we think SEC we think football powerhouse not basketball. And then the Pac-12 uh wasn't that great. Like this was the year of the bigs, right? Big 10, Big 12. Well, so much for that. The Big 10 tournament champion Illinois gone. The Big 12 tournament champ Texas gone. If you look At the final regular season standings, the 3rd, 4th, 5th, and 6th place teams in the Big 12 are all out after two rounds. Only Baylor, Kansas, and Oklahoma are left. Baylor already in the Sweet 16. OU has Gonzaga today at 240, and Kansas has USC tonight in the late game. In the Big 10, the second... 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, and ninth place teams pfft, all gone after two rounds. Only Michigan, Iowa, and Maryland are left and all three play today. That's 16 bids between the Big 12 and the Big 10. And only six are left. And we're not even all the way through the second round yet. What a what a major fail by those two conferences so far. Now look, if a couple of those teams keep advancing and make it to the Final Four, then maybe we sit back and re, we reevaluate things, right? Because obviously not everyone can make it to the Final Four. Only four teams can get there. So everybody's going to drop off eventually. But to have so many teams from those two conferences out after just three days it's just really shocking to me because I thought that, look, remember I had Illinois winning the whole thing, I had Illinois who I thought was the best team out of the best conference I had them going all the way and winning and they're done, they get one victory And everybody else I thought Oklahoma State as a 4 seed, an underseeded 4 seed could make a run. They did not. Ohio State flamed out in the first round, losing to Oral Roberts. Which now when you think about it doesn't look that terrible because Oral Roberts is in Sweet 16. But you had high hopes. When you get that when you get that many teams in the tournament, between those two conferences, when you get 16 bids out of 68 and you only got six left, now don't get me wrong, there's still some, you know, Baylor's still alive in the Big 12. The top two teams from the Big 12 are still alive, Baylor and Kansas. And you still have the top team in the Big 10, Michigan, and the third-place team, Iowa, they're still alive as well. And then you got Maryland sitting down there, you know, down at number eight. You would just you would expect more teams from those conferences to advance, and they did. Now going back to the Midwest, uh, we have Loyola, Chicago, and Oregon State in the top half of that region. And think about it. One of those teams, unless unless, and I hate to even bring it up, but I have to because what happened with the VCU Oregon game unless both of those teams are hit with you know COVID protocols, one of those teams, Loyola Chicago or Oregon State, they're going to the Elite Eight. Think about that. That's crazy. And it, and it does. It stinks out loud for VCU, by the way. But we knew it was going to happen, right? We said it when we talked about the, you know, the tournament last week, we're breaking down the regions, that there is just no way. That we were getting through this entire tournament without one team having to forfeit, and unfortunately, that was VCU on what was that Saturday? COVID protocols, so Oregon got the you know the two nothing. It's officially a two nothing win, and you hate to see it, but you knew it was going to happen, and you you feel bad for the kids from VCU. You feel bad for having to navigate the season that they had to, right? To have to go through and make all the sacrifices that they had to make to to get all the way to the NCAA tournament only to have the plug get pulled because of COVID. And somebody made the connection, although I don't know if it's a real connection. Maybe it's just coincidence or whatever. But remember, before the tournament started, there were, I think, six. There were six referees that were sent home because one referee tested positive for COVID, he had dinner with five other referees, so you know contact tracing. So all six were sent home. One of those officials, and it may have been the one who tested positive, worked the Atlantic Ten tournament, which VCU is in the Atlantic Ten. Now I don't know. You could you could draw the line. You could draw the connection. You can make an assumption. Maybe that has something to do. Maybe, maybe it did. Maybe it's just coincidence. But it's worth, you know, it's worth putting it out there. That an official that tested positive for COVID worked the A-10 tournament. And then what? A week later, VCU is sent home. That's And it's a shame, again. Anyway, back to my original point. Barring one of those situations, we're going to have Loyola Chicago – I can't even get over it, or Oregon State in the Elite Eight. The bottom half of that region, Houston barely got by Rutgers last night. And daggone it, that was one of my upset specials. I had Rutgers upsetting Houston and moving on. And man, I was so close because Rutgers, they led by double digits in the second half. Houston finished the game on a big run to come back and win by three. I was like, oh my goodness, if I'm going to get a couple things right this tournament, that was going to be one of them. Because in my original bracket, when I picked all the games, I had Rutgers beating Houston. Then I had West Virginia beating Rutgers to get to the Elite Eight. But Rutgers was oh so close. And then there's West Virginia. Who didn't fulfill their end of the bargain either. So both of those teams that I had moving on uh, failed to do so. And we'll get into West Virginia in the next hour as we get up here against a break. The Mountaineers, the third seed in the region taking on the 11 seed Syracuse. I had the Mountaineers going to the Elite Eight. I thought things were lining up nicely for them to make a deep run in the tournament. And then came Buddy. We'll talk about that next. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio.
0: This is the Morning Rush.
1: So here we go. 301-759-2628. Get involved on the conversation. I know by perusing Twitter last night and Facebook, you Mountaineer fans had a lot to say. So get involved, call the show, 301-759-2628. And as things began to unfold in the first couple days of the tournament, I started thinking to myself that this is really starting to open up for West Virginia to make a deep run in the region. Which, look, I already thought they were going to do. I already had them getting to the Elite Eight regardless because I thought they had a good draw and like I said earlier I thought Rutgers was going to knock off Houston which they almost did. And when Syracuse knocked off San Diego State, I thought, "Ooh. That that you know, that definitely helps the Mountaineers cause." And then when Loyola Chicago beat Illinois, I thought, "Holy crap. Things are really falling West, West Virginia's way." because I had Illinois beating West Virginia in the Elite Eight. Now, I'm looking at this, I'm like, oh my goodness, we got the number six seed out of the way in San Diego State, the number one seed out of the way. I thought the number two would be out of the way. All the Mountaineers had to do was beat the 11th seed, right? All they had to do was beat 11th seeded Syracuse. Because again, I would have liked them over. Actually, I would have liked West Virginia over either Rutgers or Houston. Wouldn't have mattered. So beat Syracuse. I think eh, they're on their way to the Elite Eight. Who against either? Think about think how that would have fallen. I know ifs and buts. I get it. But think how that would have fallen if the Mountaineers all they had to do was get past Syracuse. And again, I thought they would have got past Rutgers or Houston, and then they would have faced either Loyola Chicago or Oregon State for a shot at the Final Four. Problem is, uh, they didn't get past Syracuse. Mountaineer season, over. Lost by three, 75-72. And Buddy Beheim will join the list of cursed names in West Virginia history. After making just one shot in the first half, he scored 22 points in the second half. Including 10 in the final 8:51 of the game. Right after the Mountaineers took a one-point lead, he went off. He went off the entire second half. And it seemed like every single time that West Virginia did something to get back into the game, in those final 10 minutes, old buddy had an answer.
2: Here's Mountaineer head coach uh, Bob Huggins. They shot the ball really well. Buddy shot the ball extremely well. He had a stretch where uh, I think he made three consecutive threes uh, that really when when we were ahead and we 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 tried to catch up from then on. They didn't really they they stopped taking it to the basket. That, that the shot blocking didn't have anything to do with it today. It has before, but it, not today.
1: Now Huggins said that uh, there were some defensive lapses that allowed good old buddy to get off the shots that he wanted. I,
2: I thought we kind of did a pretty good job getting back in the game, and and then I think we took a two point lead, and then we we kept switching when we shouldn't have switched. Uh, we needed to keep the same guy, the same defender on on uh, on their best player, and we kept switching and. Yeah. I uh, kept saying stop switching, and we still kept switching, which is, I, I, think, I think we switched it a little bit, took, take a, took a look at switching a little bit uh, in practice yesterday, but we shouldn't have switched it. Uh, I mean, plain and simple. We wanted size on, on, on Buddy, uh, and we switched size off of him, and he shot it over top of us and made three threes. And I think it went from a tie score to us being down nine, and he couldn't do that when we had length on him. We bothered him when we had length on him. And I, I, you know I, I don't know I don't underst- I don't know why they switched, but they kept switching. We switched three times when we shouldn't have switched.
1: Those switches that he's talking about kept leaving Sean McNeil on Bayheim, and Bayheim was just able to shoot right over. I mean, there was one time when McNeil, he couldn't have played Beheim any tighter. If, if you heard the clip he played earlier, the announcer said that he was right in his grill. And Bayheim just shot over him for a three. They kept on switching to the smaller guy. And Beheim kept taking advantage of it. Especially, look, again, he only had three points in the first half. He made one three in the first half. That was it. And then he went off in the second half. And the Mountaineers had no answer because they kept on switching defenders. And early on, things were uh, ugly, to say the least. Because Mountaineers had a hell of a time solving that 2-3 zone. You know, Syracuse and Jim Jim Beheim, they're famous for it. And they're not the first team to ever have trouble with that 2-3 zone. They just couldn't solve it. I mean, the way they play that defense. And somebody even uh, messaged me on Facebook yesterday. And said the 2-3 zone, the Bayheim 2-3 zone is alive and well. And it sure was. If you're a basketball, obviously, if you're a Mountaineer fan, it wasn't too happy to, you know, wasn't very fun to watch. But if you're a basketball person, that zone's fun to watch. I'm not a big zone guy. All right. I, I, I'd rather play man-to-man than zone. But the way Syracuse plays that 2-3 and the way Beheim recruits. Very few coaches in the country recruit to their style better than Jim Behan. He And they even mentioned it in the broadcast. He recruits players who fit into that 2-3 zone. They'll worry about teaching them offense later. And they're fast and they're long. And when you see them move, you really appreciate that zone. I mean, they play better. They've been doing it for 35 years. And their length, I mean, there's, and it's hard to get an idea from the TV angle, but if you're on the floor and you're actually looking at it, there's no space. There are no openings. There are no gaps in that defense. High post, maybe a little bit, which is where the Mountaineers are trying to get that. They're trying to get the ball in the high post, in the middle. That's really the only opening there. Around the perimeter, forget about it. Get the ball in a corner, you're getting trapped. Ball goes down to the low post, they're double teaming, triple teaming. How many times did you see a Mountaineer get the ball in the low block and there were three orange jerseys around him in a heartbeat? And they couldn't figure out that zone in the first half. And they were down by, what was it? I think 11-14, at right? 28-14? And they closed the half on a 13-5 run. So they were only down six at the break, but it could have been a lot worse. Because... West Virginia turned the ball over 11 times in that first half. But Syracuse only got two points off those turnovers, which really allowed the Mountaineers to cut into that lead before halftime or else they could have been blown out by the break. Second half, it kind of looked like that's what was going to happen. Syracuse comes out gunning. They go up 43-31 just like that. And they were up 46-35 before the Mountaineers ripped off a 9-0 run to make it 46-44. But then guess who had an answer? Good old Buddy Behan, who nailed two straight threes to put the Orange back up by eight. Because again, here you thought if you're a Mountaineer fan, here we go, 9 nothing run, we're back into it, down by two, and then bang, bang, you're down by eight. But still, West Virginia kept coming. McNeil, McNeil couldn't guard Bayheim, but McNeil could shoot threes. I mean, he was launching them by near half court. He hit three straight threes to get the Mountaineers right back into the game. And they eventually took a one-point lead with 947 left. But then, guess what? (laughs) There was old Buddy again. He hit a shot from the paint. Syracuse retook the lead and they never trailed again. Now, the Mountaineers, to their credit, made a game of it late, but they couldn't get closer than I think three. Because they were pressure and they were going full court. And a little side note here, I have never seen a Division I team have so much trouble getting the ball in bounds in Syracuse. I mean, my goodness. They had an 11-point lead with like a minute 15 left. I'm thinking the game's over. If you're on Twitter, you're thinking this game's over. People were like, we're done. The game was still going on. And people were like, they were lamenting the loss. They were like, oh, like another loss. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, wait a minute. It went from 11 to 4 in a heartbeat. Thanks to a missed free throw. Thanks, I mean, they could not get the ball in. And they never changed, they never adjusted. The Mountaineers are picking up full court man to man. And Syracuse still kept on putting all their guys in the front court. It's like spread it out, man. Send a couple guys deep. Like I didn't understand what they were doing. They had so much trouble getting the ball in. Like, don't you guys practice this stuff? And there was one point, there were there was 4.9 seconds left. Okay. 4.9 seconds left. I think Syracuse is up by three at that at that point. Maybe two, two or three. And they were inbounding baseline full court. And so I'm looking at the clock and I'm looking at the situation. I'm like, well, there's 4.9 seconds left. All you have to do is inbound the ball. That's it. Inbound it. Go into a turtle. Because with 4.9 seconds left, you can't get a five-second call. You can't get a 10-second call. All you have to do is inbound it and hold the ball. And and West Virginia has to foul you. Or else you can just sit there and hold the ball and run the clock out. 4.9 seconds left. Syracuse gets the ball in in the corner. I think it was uh what's his name? Griffin. He tried to pass the ball. He tried to pass the ball back to the inbounder. And it got unfortunately for Syracuse, it got knocked out of bounds. And I'm just sitting there thinking, why are you trying to pass it again? You literally, with 4.9 seconds left, you literally can't turn the ball over. You can't get a five-second call. You can't get a 10-second. All you got to do is catch it and hold it and force to get fouled. And he tried to throw the ball back. It, it just stunned me. It really did. It stunned me. The difficulty Syracuse had of inbounding the ball time and time again. And It almost cost him the game. It almost cost him the game. Anyway, I digress. You look at what Bayheim did, okay, and you give him all the credit for coming on in the second half, making the adjustments, whatever. And really, the Mountaineers made some adjustments too because they turned the ball over 11 times in the first half, only three times in the second half. And they forced Syracuse to turn it over eight times in the second half. The bigger, the bigger difference was West Virginia was terrible from the floor. They shot absolutely terrible. Just 37% from the floor. 37%. They made just 26 of 70 shots. And after the game, you know, Bob Huggins said, hey,
2: shots were there, just couldn't make them. Uh, I think we ran what we needed to run. We just didn't score it. I mean, how many shots inside of three, four feet did we miss to start the game? And 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 they 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 had a lot to do with that. But I mean, you 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 catch it and going at the basket from three or four feet, you we ought to make one. We didn't make any, and then they shot it extremely well. They shot it. They shot it. Uh, seemed like everything they shot up went in, and they shot it from deep, and and we just. Uh, we wanted to we wanted to make them bounce it, and we didn't. We let them. We let them get too many step-in shots.
1: Looking at the uh, the old stat line here, and really Syracuse, they only made one more field goal. They were twenty-seven to fifty-two. Mountaineers twenty-six of seventy. They got up eighteen more shots than Syracuse. The Orange shot 51.9% from the floor. 50, almost 52%. Mountaineers 37. Three-point percentage is about the same. Not many free throws in the game. Only <laughs> There were only 22 total free throws. And as, we, as we've covered West Virginia throughout the season, they were the third, how do I want to put this? They... They shot the third most foul shots per game in the entire country. It was somewhere around 1819. They only shot eleven yesterday. They were nine of eleven. Syracuse seven for eleven. Mountaineers had the edge in rebounding. Total turnovers actually Syracuse turned the ball over one more time than West Virginia, fifteen to fourteen. But it's that shooting. It's it's the the thirty seven percent shooting. Which is what really came back uh, to bite the Mountaineers. So that was one thing that stood out. Another thing that stood out as the game progressed and as the game went on, especially in the second half, where was Derek Culver for the Mountaineers? We'll talk about that next. Stick around, 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio.
0: is the morning rush.
1: Mountaineers' season coming to an end yesterday. Losing to Syracuse, the 11 seed, by a triple, a 75-72. And we've been hearing from head coach Bob Huggins some of the things that stood out from that game yesterday. Mountaineers having no answer for Buddy Bayheim in the second half. Mountaineers shooting just overall terribly from the floor making just 26 of 70 shots and another thing that stood out from yesterday's game uh, Derek Culver and where exactly he was he got very little floor time in the second half at one point I thought he might have been hurt because Gabe Saboyan was getting a ton of action particularly in that second half Culver has scored just seven points on two of nine shooting. He played just, uh, what was it? 21 minutes in the game. 21 minutes. Only six minutes in the second half. His Oshaboyan played the other 14. And Bob Huggins
2: was asked about the move after the game. We were struggling to guard him and gave his, gave his our best uh, inside defender. And Derek was, they, they were double teaming Derek and we just didn't our 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 timing of getting the ball inside to him was wasn't very good, and and so you know Gabe does a much better job defensively, and Gabe rebounds it pretty much as well as Derek has. So if you go by minutes played, anyway, We're trying to win, man, just trying to win.
1: Uh, Oseboyan and Jalen Bridges each uh, had nine rebounds to lead the team. And Oceboyan, I mean, you heard Huggins say it. I mean, he was a terror on defense. Tipping passes, getting into the passing lanes, getting steals, getting rebounds. He was really kick-starting a lot of things for the Mountaineers. And he was all over the place. And he was a big reason why, you know, West Virginia was able to, to keep it close and even had a chance at the end. And, and Huggins praised Ozaboyans play after the game.
2: Well, I think it's it's hard for most people to appreciate everything he does. He keeps balls alive for us. He stops penetration. We've had a hard time all year, as I'm sure you're aware of, staying in front of our man. And Gabe really does a great job of stopping penetration. Uh, he's the key to our defense. He's he's the he's the last resort. He does he does a lot of things. We're not near as good a basketball team without him. And bottom line is, you know, a
1: lot of people might look at that and go, "My goodness, how can you, how can you put Derek Culver on the bench, right? He's your big man, he's your junior big man in the middle." But like Huggins said in that last clip we played, we're just trying to win a game. Sometimes you got to make moves like that. Sometimes you're looking for a spark. Sometimes you're looking for somebody to kickstart your team. And they could never get Culver on track in the first half because of that Syracuse that that two three zone. I mean, as soon as he touched the ball there were two or three guys around him in orange jerseys. And, and the way that Syracuse was hitting in the first half, they had to make a change. They had to make a switch. And Boyan played his rear end off. He played very, very well. And probably gave Huggins a better game overall than Culver would have had he played you know his usual minutes. It's just the way it is. And so, Mountaineers are done after just two games. Something that I think a lot of us really didn't see coming. And I saw some folks on Twitter and on the Book of Faces last night lamenting the life of a Mountaineer fan. The tortured souls of Morgantown, right? Just... Heartache, sadness, just just another day in the life of a Mountaineer fan, right? I saw someone always say, you know, they said, uh, always the bridesmaid, never the bride. And, and here's the thing. This was not a national title-winning team. It wasn't. If you paid attention at all during the regular season and, and you're being honest with yourself, You kind of already knew that. But I don't think anybody thought that they would exit stage left so early in the tournament. I thought, again, I had them going to the Elite Eight and losing to Illinois. I didn't think they were good enough to win a national championship. There were too many flaws, especially defensively. So, you know, the whole bridesmaid thing is maybe a little bit too far-fetched because they weren't getting to the national title game. They weren't good enough. They were good, not good enough. But still, I thought they would see the second weekend. I thought they were definitely good enough to see the second, but hey, that's how the tournament goes. And maybe we really shouldn't be that surprised after the fact because we talked about this last week. How many times have we seen Syracuse barely get into the tournament? and then make a run that nobody expected. Jim Boeheim has now taken a double-digit Syracuse team, or a double-digit seed, to the Sweet 16 three times. Three times Syracuse has been a double-digit seed and they've gone to the Sweet 16. He's just the third coach to ever do that. Mark Few and Tom Penders, the only other two, And ESPN's uh, Tyler Foljam and Aaron Goldhammer talked about this uh, last night, about the Orange playing the underdog role better than really hardly anybody else has ever done. It feels like when Syracuse is a two-seed, they get, they get
3: eliminated in the first right. round. And when people are expecting things from them, it never goes. When Syracuse is an 11 seed, it's when Syracuse is at their most dangerous, and here they are again with yet another trip with that zone into the Sweet 16. Is
4: Jim Beheim one of the greatest coaches in college basketball history? Well, I think he's one of the greatest. Uh, he's not my cup of tea, personally, but you can't argue with the results. You know, the same way, I, I'm not a Bobby Knight fan uh, for the way that he comported himself uh, and some of the things he did, but if you just want to talk strictly about the results that he got on the floor, yeah. Boeheim's got 900-plus wins. You know, I, I think, what is he, second or third all-time behind Shashevsky. Uh, um, I, I mean, he's... He's, he has a, a signature scheme and philosophy that he has not uh, wavered from for 35 years on the sideline. Signature 2-3 zone. He's still doing it in the year of our Lord 2021, and he's still doing it with great success, especially when his team is discounted or counted out like most of us thought. Oh, they're an 11 seed this year. They haven't been that good in ACC play. Yeah. Uh, they'll They'll flame out early. Nope. Buddy Beheim, his son is hot. I think he's now 13 of 23 from downtown in the two games, Jeez. averaging 27 and a half points. So watch out for this team. They're going to be dangerous because they have a unique style that plays well in the tournament, and they can uh, outshoot almost anyone in this tournament, maybe outside uh, of the Baylor Bears. So Jim Beheim, again, a, a complex character, but strictly based on his college basketball resume, the results speak for themselves. On this level, Tyler,
3: I mean, I cannot imagine what this is like for them. You know, you're in a closed NCAA tournament game. You're the best player on your team, and the guy drawing up the play in the huddle for you is your dad. Can you fathom what this must be like inside that Syracuse
4: huddle and inside that locker room? I just can't imagine what that what that is like going through for, for- – Jim, this is old hat. He He's done this many, many times. But for Buddy, this could be the most significant basketball he ever plays in his life. Yeah. It could be one of the greatest memories of his entire life, even if Jim Beheim wasn't his coach. Let's say his coach was Mark Q. Smith. And if they were making this run as an 11 seed to the Sweet 16 and who knows where else, it would be one of the greatest experiences of Buddy Beheim's life outside of maybe a marriage and ha- having kids. So the fact that he gets to share that with his hero, his best friend, as he says, his father, and gets to you know have that shared experience for a, a-, a life achievement, a life goal that is going to mean so much and be so significant, I, I cannot fathom yeah. what it must be like, especially since Buddy, as you said, has been the catalyst as a player. He's been the best player shooting absolutely lights out on the floor, leading that Syracuse offense.
1: Uh, Mark Q. Smith, by the way, not nearly as many wins as uh, Jim Beheim. Beheim is actually second all time in wins. He has 946 wins, 385 losses. That's a 711 winning percentage. Only Schleske has more. He he has 1132 wins. And you know they're talking about you know Jim Beheim and Buddy Beheim, you know, and you heard one of them say that, you know, Beheim, Jim, not his cup of tea. Jim Beheim has been known in the past, and we've talked about it, to rub people the wrong way. He sometimes he gets a little bit crotchety, gets a little bit, you know, curmudgeon but he's a hell of a coach. He's a hell of a coach. And after the game yesterday, uh, Buddy Bayheim came to the defense of his dad.
2: If I'ma be honest, after the couple games, Georgia Tech game or something, uh saw a lot of stuff on Twitter talking about him and uh just crazy stuff, how he's you know, been not doing well the last ten years. Uh, do you know how many people would, would dream about going to two Sweet 16s, two Final Fours, and then lead eight? And um, in, in 10 years, I think that's pretty good, and it just shows he's never had a losing season back in the Sweet 16, and he continues to do it. He's one of the best coaches in all sports. There's no doubt about it, and uh, he's now there's no one better, and I think he continues to prove that. and uh, it's it's no no better feeling than helping him bring him to another Sweet 16 and just show us how uh, great he is and the continued greatness he continues to have.
1: Now is is Buddy Bayheim a little bit biased? Yeah, uh, is he wrong? Mm, no, he isn't. Again, like him or not, Beheim Jim is is one of the greatest coaches ever. Bobby Knight, like him or not, one of the greatest coaches ever. Mike Shashovsky. People don't like him because he's at Duke, and people hate Duke. He's one of the greatest ever. A lot of people didn't like Jim Calhoun at Connecticut, at UConn. He could be a little bit abrasive, a little bit prickly. He's one of the greatest ever. Personality-wise, you don't have to like him. They win, right? They win. And this year's team, and you heard the guys talk about it earlier in that clip, it's got to be a special kind of thing, man, to, to get to the Sweet 16 with Dad as the head coach, and the sun, the catalyst, right—the the the one who makes the engine go—it's got to be a special thing. It really does. And Buddy Beheim made that, made the orange go yesterday. When they needed him most, remember they took a 14 point lead in the first half, and he only had three points in the first half. But when they needed him to step up in the second half, he had 22 of his 25. Buddy Bayheim got it done. And again, that name will go down as one of the cursed names in West Virginia history. It's a unique situation. It's got to be fun for them, not necessarily for everybody else. And we're going to hear from uh, analyst Seth Greenberg right now, who says that, uh, you know, Buddy Bayheim, uh, he's more than just a coach's son.
5: Yeah, he's far from a coach's son. The kid is really just a special player. He loves the game, he's in love with the game. His work ethic is incredible. So. You know, it's easy when you're one of your best players is your hardest worker. And uh, actually, one of Jim's assistants is my former assistant, Adrian Archery. Had, Buddy's the first guy in the gym and the last guy to leave. Buddy's mm-hmm. got us in love with the game, in love with the process of becoming a good player. Uh, he's a world-class shooter. He was sick in the middle of the year with the virus. He was really sick, to be honest with you. And uh, it took him a while to get back. And uh, in the first few games out of, out of quarantine, uh, he really struggled. But in the last month, in talking to Jim, He's got his legs back. He's got his wind back. Uh, he's able to put the time in the gym to get his stroke back. And, you know, your shooting starts with your legs. And once he got his legs back, he's got an absolutely beautiful release. But it's a family affair with the Bayhimes.
1: So, the Q's moves on to the Sweet 16. Mountaineer season, a good season, is over. Didn't get as far as we thought, but that's the tournament for you. That's the nature of the beast. I'll tell you what, come next year, year after that, they're going to be right back in the thick of it, I guarantee it. All right, one final break. Back to wrap things up. Stick around. Cumberland's ESPN Radio.
0: This is the Morning Rush.
1: Still got time to get a call in under the wire, 301-759-2628. Before we get out of here... Let's take a look at the player who delivered yesterday, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. How about Kevin O'Banner? The Oral Roberts forward had 28 points and 11 rebounds to lead the 15th-seeded Golden Eagles to an 81-78 upset of 7th-seeded Florida ORU, just the second 15 seed to ever reach the Sweet 16, joining Florida Gulf Coast in 2013. So Kevin O'Banor, actually I should give it to the entire Oral Roberts team. The player who delivered, uh, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. Still can't get over a 15 seed. I mean, it, it's so rare. And it was funny because right before, right before practice Friday, Oral Roberts beat Ohio State, right? 15 knocked off a two. And, of course, that was the buzz, you know, around the locker room. Oh, my, can you believe, you know, Ohio State lost to Oral Roberts. And, of course, Oral Roberts, their initials are ORU. And the funniest things I saw, it was (laughs) funny to me anyway, is I saw somebody post on Twitter, Ohio State, we're going to the Final Four. And then, ORU, question mark? I thought that was clever. Anyway. Actually, it was me who sent that tweet out, so that's why I thought it was clever. Maryland, an opportunity to reach the Sweet 16 tonight. The Terps, the 10 seed in the East region, taking on the two seed, Alabama. And you really couldn't talk about about a contrast in styles. Alabama, all about the offense. 28th in the country this year, scoring just under 80 points a game. 79.2 79.2 points a game. Maryland averaged 68.6 points a game, which ranks 232nd in the country. But Maryland does it on defense; they're one of the top defensive teams in the country. They just can't score, and it's going to take a a monumental uh, defensive effort from Maryland to keep this game close. Alabama's all about running gun. Alabama is about three-pointers and layups. That's it. You're not going to see very many uh short range, mid-range shots from the Tide tonight. It's going to be either a three or a layup. Get out in transition for a layup, jack it up threes. That's what Bama does. So, it's going to take a big time defensive effort, effort from the Terps. You hope that Alabama is off that their shots are off. Right now, Alabama is a five-and-a-half point favorite. I'm surprised it's that low, to tell you the truth. The number to uh, to look at for tonight's game, the magic number, is 73. Right? That's the magic number. Maryland is 0-7 this season when the opposing team scores 73 or more points. All right. Alabama is a perfect 20 and 0 when they score at least 73 points. So, if that number for Bama hits 73, lights out, game over. That's the magic number. And again, Bama averages 79 a game, and they've actually averaged 79 over the last 5 games. Whenever Bama does not reach 73, they're 5 and 6. So again, monumental defensive effort from the Terps. They can hold Bama to under 73, under 70, they got a chance if they can score. Bama got this, uh, got to the second round. They beat Iona in the first round uh sixty eight, fifty five. So look, if Iona can keep Bama under 70, mm, there's a chance. The Terps can do the same thing and the Terps beat Yukon in a slugfest 63-54. Maryland is going to need a a much much more help from the bench. They got one point off the bench against Yukon. That was a free throw from Galen Smith. One point. <laughs> They're not beating Bama if they only get one point off the bench. And this is going to be a a weird game. For Galen Smith, who was a grad transfer for Maryland because he transferred from Alabama, so a bit of a reunion for of sorts uh, for the big fella. So look, I don't see, I don't see the Terps pulling it off. I don't. But as we've seen how many times so far, you never know. You never know. They've only met five times by the way, all time, and Maryland leads a series four to one. And that is, it's not the late game tonight. It is the next two late games. Does that make sense? Let me look at the schedule here real quick. And remember, I got to remind you here, or maybe if you're hearing it for the first time, that we have all of the Westwood One coverage right here on this very station. Beginning at noon, all the way through, until the end of the final game, which is generally around 1 a.m. So if you're at work, if you're in your car, you can't get to a TV and watch, just keep it on this station. Being at noon, all the games, all the action, all the way through. First game today is at 12:10, Oregon and Iowa. Of course, Oregon getting the free pass because VCU had the dropout. At 2:40, Oklahoma Gonzaga. At 5:15, Oklahoma. The eleven fourteen matchup, Abilene Christian and UCLA. Then at six ten, Ohio and Creighton. Then LSU, Michigan, and Colorado, Florida State. Then around eight forty five ish, Maryland and Alabama. Then a the very late game around nine forty, USC and Kansas. All of it will be covered right here on Cumberland's ESPN Radio, beginning at noon, and we will talk about all of it on tomorrow's show, especially. We'll see if the Terps can pull the upset and get to the Sweet 16. How about that? All right, we're done. And the funny thing is, the winner of the Maryland-Bama game faces either Abilene, Christian, or UCLA. So you'd like their chances against either one of those schools to get to the Elite Eight. So something to pay attention to. All right, we're done. Back tomorrow, 7 a.m. sharp. See you then. This is the Morning Rush. I am Tony C., and I am done. Ah, see ya.